Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. What's up everybody? Hope you all are enjoying your day or night, I guess whenever you listen to this. Uh, You know, I love having this show I love being able to really just connect with like-minded people who share a passion for animals. And I love being able to either, you know, highlight their careers or highlight unique programs. And folks, this podcast topic and guest today is literally one of a kind. I actually had no idea they even existed until a few months ago when uh, actually one of their vet technicians reached out to me through Instagram. By the way, if you haven't followed me on Instagram, please do at Corbin Maxi or follow us on Facebook. But uh, yeah, they, they reached out to me and kind of told me about this unique program called Wildlife Rockstars, Bridges for Brain Injury. And at first you're thinking, okay, what is this? This is interesting, Wildlife Rockstars, you know. And uh, upon further inspection and kind of more digging, I found this just unique program I wanted to highlight, or I guess put in the spotlight, for today's podcast. And so today we're going to be talking to the founder, John Truini. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, John, if I butchered that. But uh, John is the founder of this program, and it is a unique program for people who unfortunately have suffered traumatic brain injuries. And what John has done is he has basically founded this program where he has used exotic animals to basically give these people a second chance and be able to let them become wildlife rock stars by educating people in the community. And so currently, Wildlife Rock Stars is home to over 60 different exotic animals. John has over 30 different employees who use these animals for educational programs, mainly throughout upstate New York. They actually did over 400 programs last year. And so we are going to learn, you know, more about wildlife rock stars, just the positive benefits that these adults um, have had, you know, through working with these animals. We will also touch base on some very unusual animals, including batons, a kusamansi, and a zorilla. Yeah, those are all three actual animals. Uh, they, <laughs> I have heard of them before, but I'm going to be honest, I really didn't know too much about them. So we'll actually go into those very unusual animals. We'll also talk about some of the particular animals that John has in the program, including a coyote, a uh beautiful singing dog. We also talk about some of his marsupials, including the red kangaroo. And we also go in to some of the programs they've actually done on television. John has provided animals for fellow animal expert Jared Miller on numerous television shows, including Late Night with Conan O'Brien when Conan was back in New York. Also the Rachel Ray show where Jared Miller appears as a regular. So we just kind of talk about his experience going on these national programs with those animals. But most importantly, we highlight this unique one-of-a-kind program in North America. I hope you enjoy my interview with John from Wildlife Rockstars. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So you have such a unique program and we actually connected. This is why I love social media is because one of, I guess, one of your workers, Sarah, is on Instagram and she reached out through me and I love how we're able to use these you know, social platforms to just connect. And she told me about your very unique program, which of course is uh, called Bridges for Brain Injury Wildlife Rock Stars. That's right. That's right. And Sarah is our um, 
she's a wildlife education specialist. We first, uh, she first discovered us when she was in an animal science program at a local BOCES. We captured her interest and her heart like we do most people we come in contact with. Um, and she volunteered for four years. And then four years ago, we hired her, and um, she'll be with us forever. She loves what we do. And what we do is, is pretty special. Um, I've worked with wildlife my whole life. Um, you know, my youngest childhood memories are hiding a box turtle under the bed in a shoebox, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and just, I mean, I was just fascinated. And, the, the, you know, these animals are living miracles. I have that same um, almost boyish fascination, as I'm sure you do. Um, and, and I've always had that. 20 years ago, I got the opportunity uh, to make a career change. I was doing scientific photography, actually. And um, I got into human services, and I got the opportunity to work with uh, young adults that were recovering from brain injury. And it really, um, it really grabbed a hold of me. And uh, so for 20 years now, I've run with what in the eyes of the Department of Health is called the day program, which is any congregate setting where these adults are working on personal goals and working on their rehabilitation. So that's how we keep the doors open. People say, how do you, what's the funding in this program? Well, we do fee-based programming. We raise as much, as many funds as we can to care for the animals. You know the exorbitant care of raising uh, over 60 species of, of native and exotic animals. But um, it's the New York State Traumatic Brain Injury Waiver that we operate under. Um, so our people, th this is a very unusual day program for adults recovering from brain injury. And when I say unusual, the only program like it in North America. I don't get tired saying that. That's the great. Only no one's doing anything like this in North America. Um, in 2002, I was... Um, uh, creating educational groups for um, uh, adults recovering from brain injury. So what I did is I grouped, a, I put a group of people together that had a passion for wildlife. I had about a dozen people. We met once a week on Fridays. We called it Critter Getters. <laughs> and these individuals with profound memory deficits, I mean, they couldn't tell me what they had for breakfast. But they could come in on Friday and tell me every fact about an African rock hyrax. They could tell me that a chinchilla had 50 hairs per follicle. But they had trouble remembering my name, and they surely couldn't remember what they had done earlier that morning. So it sort of fell in my lap. I was on to something. Because mm -hmm. uh, they were the venue, the, the vehicle by which they were enhancing their memory was something that they were truly passionate about. Um, about three or four times a year, we would go into a preschool and we would share what we learned. And there it happened again. Uh, these people that are, that were bent and broken. Um, we, when, when someone has a brain injury, we think of the losses, we think of the loss of sight, the loss of the use of a limb or hearing or taste. What we don't think about that they lost their spouse, they lost their job, uh, they lost their opportunity to go back to school, they lost their family, they lost their friends, is what they lost. They're bent but not broken, they're diminished self-esteem and confidence. And when they went into the preschool, 
and taught these kids about this animal they learned about, they came out of it feeling like a rock star. I mean, they literally, and that's how they're treated in the community. We go into the school, they get asked for autographs. I just the other day, it's true. I know. Yeah. I just the other day was walking down the street with one of our wildlife rock stars and a young child broke the grasp of his mother's hand and he ran across the street and said, you're a wildlife rock star, aren't you? And they said, yeah, I am. And they started talking animals. You know, we deal with creature geeks. We deal with people you that have the same passion we have and it was really something so i came up with the idea of why not have a full-blown wildlife education program and why not have that program be the best in the region run by adults recovering from brain injury because one of the uh you know the the program takes on a personality and that personality does happen to be me and so i i stress to the folks that all people are capable of great things you've proven that all people are capable of great things. Our people, though they're recovering from a brain injury, are capable of great things. They prove it to me every day. Every day that I come in, they prove it to me. I hold them above me because of it. Um, I don't know if I could do what they do. They're inspirational. So I came up with the, the idea. Uh, and then in 2008, uh, a colleague contacted me, and uh, I was shopping the idea around at the time. And she said, hey, what's that idea, John? And I said, well, this is it. She said, okay. Monday, June 8, 2008, we opened the doors. Uh, our executive director and I uh, were dumpster diving the next day, getting office furniture. Oh, and, my and, gosh. And, oh, yeah, just trying to make ends meet, Corbin, let me tell you. We were doing whatever it took. And that was 10 years ago. And here we are today with about 45 individuals um, and a beautiful outdoor wildlife education center due to donors who we have captured their hearts. Um, offices in Elmira, New York, uh, just outside of Rochester in Farmington, New York, where we raise care for over 60 species. And, uh, and then we're really proud to say that we just opened an office at the Rochester Museum and Science Center. Wow. And that's a trend that I'm not sure if you're aware of, but uh, you know, I know Amy uh, is, is, has a passion for this with me. And um, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but many museums are using live animals to capture the interest of their patrons. You know, you go to the zoo and it's a message of conservation. But at the, at the, um, at the museum, it's a message of natural history. It's different. Uh, the Boston Museum of Natural History has a whole wildlife education program. So we've had a relationship with the museum for seven or eight years. We've become their animal people. And in January of 2018, we entered into a formal partnership. And uh, they offered us office space. And we provide top quality wildlife education to their patrons uh, five days a week. Wow. And, uh, and it's, it's, I mean, their day program is the museum. Their classroom is the museum. Uh, four days a week, they get dropped off and they walk into the museum and that's, that's their, that's become their life's work. Um, whereas so many day programs for adults recovering from traumatic brain injury operate in isolation. So this is a, you're in the game program. No one's on the bench. 
they're putting the same work in, but what makes it what makes it unusual is they're putting the same work in. There's great work being done in brain injury all over the country. There's important work being done. What makes us different is that same we're we're not just changing the lives of those that participate in the program. We're changing the lives of the community that surrounds them and all those that come in contact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, people come into the museum and they end up in a show for the same reason you and I would. There's live animals. So yeah. sign me up, right? Yeah. I'm in. Well, these people come in and they don't know what to expect. And then what they find is that the animals are the co-stars and the stars of the show are our wildlife rock stars. Hmm. Um, so what we do is, is, is we train them uh, to be public speakers and... Uh, and each and every time they get in front of an audience, which could be an audience of, 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 of nine or 900. We just did a school assembly the other day, 750 kids. It's the same program. Um, they've gotten very good at it. Now, people present at different levels. Um, we have some that are articulate. They've become accomplished public speakers. They don't need any... Uh, compens- uh, compensatory strategies like notes mm-hmm. to remember what to say. <laughs> you have amazing. notes? <laughs> They're amazing. They're amazing. Others, I have to tell you, others, their knees wobble. Mm. They mispronounce words, but it's those that really grab the audience because I've been in that audience and what the people do is you're pulling for them. In, in, inside, you're saying, you can do it. You can do it. And when they get through it, You've just witnessed an act of bravery. You can public speak. I can public speak. We, it comes natural to us, but it doesn't come natural to yeah, everybody. I was going to say, John, that is like the, one of the number one fears in America. I mean, some people would rather die than give a public, you know, a, a speech. So just to do that and then on top of it, work with animals and then have to, you know, educate these. I mean, you know, kind of give those facts that yeah, I definitely take my hat off to them. Yeah. And it's that very reason that this isn't an we're, – we're the Greater Rochester's region's most robust wildlife education program. We did over 400 educational programs in 2017. Every wow. day of the year, we're out there. That's yeah. how busy. So, John, really, really quick, though. So what – I mean, which animals are you choosing? Because you have a variety of different animals from lemurs to lynx to birds. What is the – let's just go back. In, in 2008, when you found this program, what was your first animal, and how did you find these exotic animals? Were they rescues? Can you give us more information about I, that? I'll be, happy, I'll be happy to. Now, many of them are rescues. And, and going forward um, is because is, is we have a vision. And – and, and, and I'll, I'll pass this bit, little bit of advice on to you. You live this way. I already know it, but so do I. If you're not getting better, then you're getting worse because nothing stays the same. So that's the way we operate. We, we don't sit back and what we're saying is what's next and how can we get better? So we have a vision of 30 acres, you know, and being able to do more rescue work and be more of a destination point than what we are. Right now, we're doing all this outreach. We'd like to do more destination work. Um, destination work. We like people coming to us, which we do have happen, but we like to do more of that. Um, 
So um, it was modest beginnings. This whole program was was started out of an office space that's smaller than this conference room that I'm in right now. What we have is nice, but where we're going is, is going to be a lot better. Um, we have rescues. We'd like to do more rescue work. Um, we do have other animals that we uh, acquire uh, through uh, facilities that uh, propagate species specifically for uh, programs like us with the USDA Class C exhibitors license and appropriate DC permits and whatnot. Um, we do, uh, we're often uh, the recipient of, of, of the generosity of um, not only the community, but some of the people that raise these animals. I mean, it, it happens. I mean, I just told you the other, we just were uh, very fortunate to have a sponsor come in and, and, uh, and, and uh, help us support getting a, we have an eight week old eagle owl chick. Wow, and yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. That's Sarah's bird. Um, we probably couldn't have done that on our own. So, um, so the, the the sources of the animals, many are rescues, and I can talk about some of them. Um, we're very proud of the job we do. We have animals that are exceptional um, because they work a lot. That's what happens. I think some wildlife education programs, the intent is there, but then all of a sudden you're just feeding and cleaning this animal for a couple weeks and getting put in a crate traveling and getting pulled out and exhibited in front of a TV audience with lights and cameras or large groups of people becomes too new and novel and the animal is uneasy. Our animals, um, they're workers and uh, they do get put through it and they love to work. They thrive. Um, so I'm very proud of uh, Lori Stallman, our wildlife education coordinator, Dutton, wildlife education coordinator, Catherine Fisher and Sarah Saylor. I have an amazing staff. Um, you know, our animals, especially the babies, they go home with the girls uh, every night. They're, they're never left solitary. A lot of effort goes into them. Um, from the beginning, we really focused on a quality collection because I feel it gives our individuals credibility. You hear wildlife education, adults with brain injury, people conjure up, so what is this going to be? And they, they conjure up ideas that we're going to have pet trade quality animals. No, I'm fascinated with the chinchilla. I could talk about it all day long. <laughs> but, but if you bring one out, someone in your audience owns one. So we have really worked at having a, a beyond a zoo quality collection of animals. And, um, and we're very proud with um, the quality of work they do and how they, how they work for us. Um, they're a result of an awful lot of time and effort. Um, our first animal was uh, a red-crested turucco. Uh, that I, Jared owned one, I owned one. And I, mine uh, was hatched with a cross beak and he had issues and I lost him after four years. So I went back to the breeder and I said, I'd, I'd like to get on a list for another chick. And he said, John, I can't do that. They're monogamous. And, um, we just lost the female passed away. They're nine years. They live about nine years and the female was about nine years old. So I said, well, can I buy the male? He said, I can't, I can't sell it to you because it's nine years old. It's next to go. Yeah. But I'll get, I'll give it to you though. So I took it and within about four weeks I had it perched on my hand doing programs and that was 10 years ago. So I have a 19 year old red crested. Oh my gosh. 
That yeah, John, 19, wow, 19, you're doing something right. Yeah, John, you know what's so crazy? I just to kind of butt in, I rescued my first snake because you asked me before we got on this, you know, I guess before I hit record on the interview, how I got my star. And I told you I started at 12 years old and I rescued an older ball python. His name was Reggie from a pet store. Some guy and, no. you know, you know, came into the pet store and was like, I don't want this snake. And I overheard it. And the pet store manager said, well, we don't want the snake. And I remember looking at my dad saying, dad, you know, can we have the snake? Long story short, it was an old ball python. And uh, we still have him to this day. Oh, no, he, <laughs> he's, he's like the most, he has to be one of the world's oldest ball pythons, but he's doing great, eats great. Uh, you know, we don't take him out to programs as much anymore just because he is, you know, he's a he's a geriatric, but it's still so cool to have that yeah. first animal. We have uh, we have Jared's beloved ringtail lemur, Mowgli. Um, he is 26 years old. Wow. Yeah. And um, we worked him the other day. I mean, he's he's sort of in retirement, but he's amazing. So our, our animal collection, as I brag on our people, our people are the two stars. But the our animal, uh, I, indulge me in saying the word collection, but our, our animal family is incredible. And um, and that when I say incredible, um, incredible from, I mean, we have some, some unusual species. Um, I, I think I shared with you the other day, we got a couple of great, uh, batons. We have four species. Yeah. We maintain four species of kangaroo. John, what in the world is a batong? Let the listeners know it's uh, <laughs> Well, the first, uh, macropods, macro meaning uh-huh. big pod, but the largest, the tallest of them are the, the reds. Everyone remembers the viral video that was then out, was kangaroo. out there of the kangaroo the, on the dog and the guy punched him in the face and the, the kangaroo kind of shook it off and ran. We know that a red kangaroo can kill a human being. Um, the, the grays are awesome. We have a female gray that thinks we're all kangaroos. You know, she's amazing. She's done uh, Steve Harvey in Chicago, the Today Show, Good Morning America, Rachel Ray multiple times. She opened the New York uh, stock market last year. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And then down from them, of course, there's 30 species of wallaby. Um, everything from the Bennets, which you commonly see, a male can be three feet tall. We have a very endangered and little talked about um, small wallaby species called a Parma wallaby. Not a Dama, a Parma. Um, only a few differences between them, a dorsal stripe and white at the tip of the tail. But um, I, I don't know of anyone that's seen or had one of those. we got a wonderful male. And then... Um, the smallest of all the kangaroo macropod species is called a batong, 10 inches tall, um, critically endangered in Australia, um, and their demise has affected all the fauna because what they, they're nomadic. They, they live where they land. They move about. They have a semi-prehensile tail. So as dust comes, they gather up leaves, make a nest, and cover themselves up and hide and then sleep for the night. Um, and so during the day, what they're doing is they have significant claws and they eat underground fungi. So they're natural dispersers of underground fungi. Um, fungi that is necessary, not only beneficial, but necessary for all the fauna in Australia. So it's been tough. And why, why have, what has led to their demise? Two things. One is invasive red foxes, mm-hmm. two litters a year, up to eight in a litter. Um, 
they're a happy meal for a red fox. The other reason is quite interesting. It's quite fascinating, and that's what has happened is there was there's a parasite that, that, that they're having a problem with, and it attacks the nervous system. And what's happened is this parasite has developed a symbiotic relationship with feral cats. So it, it, the feral cats become a deliverer of the parasite. It doesn't affect feral cats. The batons, it, it, it attacks their central nervous system and it muddles their flea response. What has happened is um, th this, this, these feral cats have become the distributor of this parasite and it muddles the flea response. So not only are those, these foxes chasing after them, but they don't have any type of fear response or flea response when they see the foxes. So, um, you know, I think it was something like 98% of Australia um, inhabited these, these batons that are amazing. And um, now I think it's 11%. So um, we actually have a, a breeding pair. And, um, and the female we use them for programming all the time. It, it, it's a fascinating creature. So can you describe, um, we, oh, really quick, John, what a baton looks like for the listeners? Because I, I yeah, feel like yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll give a picture, too. Um, they are, the DC classifies them as a rat kangaroo. Um, there's a couple species. We have the brush tail rat kangaroo. Not to be confused with kangaroo rat. Because a kangaroo rat is a rat. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a rat kangaroo, they're rat. I don't think they look. An animal aficionado like you wouldn't think they look like a rat. You look at them, they are a kangaroo. But as the wallaby species, as the macro species gets a little smaller, the faces are a little more, they're pointier, you know, in the wallabies compared to the chiseled jaw of, of a gray kangaroo or the chiseled jaw of a red kangaroo. Their face is almost dog-like. So it's reminiscent of a rat, but it's a more pointed nose. Um, other than that, it's it's a kangaroo that's this big. No oh lie. Oh my gosh, it could uh, fit in your hand. I mean, ten inches oh, tall. Yeah. Ten inches tall. This this ten inches tall fit in your hand. The semi prehensile tail is crazy. That's just a crazy fact. Um, we're doing well with ours. I mean, underground fungi. So what do you feed them, right? <laughs> We go with a lot of root vegetables. I mean, anything that grows underground, we feed it to them. Um, they seem to do well, as well as uh, anything you would you would feed a grazer. Um, we do feed them uh, the same uh, diet that we feed our other kangaroos. Um, so they're they're really um, an incredible species. Difficult to work with because people get one once in a while. Um, we moved a few forward out of our breeding program, and thus far, no one has been successful as far as integrating them into an educational program. They have, and I say this about all our animals, Corbin, but people don't get it. You have to handle them daily. I mean, they have to be yeah. handled daily. And it's not how long you have it handled, and it's not. It's more the consistency and the frequency. I mean, you take them out for four minutes and put them back in. They have to be handled. So we have a male that's, that's a pretty wild male because he was, an, he was unsuccessful with someone and they had no purpose for him. And our female is a cream puff. It, you'll see her someday. You'll meet her someday. I want and, to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pitch. It's so crazy, John. I'm going to like tell the uh, producers, you know, on the Today Show, I have a baton. They're going to be like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to have to send a picture. An animal aficionado doesn't know. Like a kusamansi, even animal people aren't familiar yeah. with it. Yeah, so what is a kusamansi? 
Yeah, go Usima, ahead. The, the, the smallest carnivore in Africa. So if you look what it's competing with, I mean, it's, it's like lions and the smallest wild carnivore and the sw- smallest mongoose species. So the Kusamansi is the dwarf mongoose, C-U-S-I-M-A-N-S-E. Sometimes you see it spelled with a K. Um, incredible. You know, it's they're kind of like taming down a mink. If you try to tame down a mink. <laughs> John, you're looking at me like a mink. I've never tamed down a mink. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're done. And these guys, um, you know, they're tough. They're, they're tough to work with and they're tough to tame down. We have one that um, I could just pass off to you. Um, it's the smelliest animal that I think that we've ever worked with. I mean, a zorilla is smelly. Oh, a zorilla. Yeah. Ooh. I almost, I actually almost brought one on the Today Show years ago, and I'm happy I didn't because I probably would have been banned. I mean, so let's talk about the, the zorilla really quick. It's supposed to be way more powerful than a skunk smell. <laughs> oh, entirely. And even though they're often referred to as an African skunk, they're not related to a skunk at all. I mean, there's no lineage uh, what, whatsoever. It, it, it's much more like a ferret. It looks like a lot like a ferret, except for skunk markings. It's more related to a ferret. But I, I have a, <laughs> I picked up a zorilla one time. I picked up an angry zorilla in Buffalo one time. And I had, which is another animal we'll talk about, but I had, my, I had Nash, my New Guinea singing dog, with me as a puppy. You know, he was only six months old. He cried the whole way home. Oh. I got back. I took a shower. I still tasted them 12 hours later. Yes. Those smells that are so strong, you can taste it. It was absolutely miserable. I can't describe what it's like. Nothing else smells like it. It would clear a building. So nothing like a skunk whatsoever. It doesn't have that hint of a skunk. Is it, is it, is it like rotting flesh? Smelling like rotting, yes, it's like rotting flesh. Oh my god, and a bunch of other things that we can conjure up the worst smell of whatever it is. I mean, they're amazing, and I actually had them for about a year, and uh, <laughs> it just became, just became too much. Um, and again, another animal that I think people are well intended to work with, but not suited. Yeah, but um, how do you take a – and this is so funny. I'm just thinking, John, people listening to this podcast, we're talking about a batong, a kusamansi, and a zorilla, like these animals no one's ever heard of. How would you – I mean, so would you take this zorilla out to educational programs like the world's smelliest animal or is it just we, – we, we did. I mean we actually did. As far as temperament, he was – we, he was fine when we got him. He wasn't when he when we got him. Um, he was practicing some. He had some maladaptive behaviors just because of how he was being cared for. He was doing some self injurious things. But we got him squared away. And uh, it's just that you didn't know when something was going to set him off and he was going to release. And I it would it would I got concerned. We're bringing him in an elementary school. It could go down. The parents. The parents would be getting letters of why their kids came home, came home smelling like rotting flesh. It would clear the school. So, I, li- um, I just, they're, I they're, it's true. They're highly nocturnal, so not a display animal. Like if it was diurnal, yeah. it would be a nice display animal for a facility. So um, he went on hopefully in a in a breeding program. But you know, one animal I, I got to make sure we talk about, Corbin, because I, I, I got some exciting stuff to tell you about. And one of my favorite animals is the New Guinea singing dog. And I don't know if you've ever used one in an educational program before, but boy, do we have a good one. He calls 
on cue. So when you want them to sing, you can make them sing. The New Guinea singing dog. Um, I think a lot of educational programs, I mean, you can find them. People give them away sometimes. There's only 300 known to be in captivity. People in education programs don't want them because they look too much like a dog. Mm-hmm. They look a lot like a dog. But this, Corbin, this isn't just a dog. It's a prehistoric puppy. It's a true dinosaur dog. Their DNA goes back 6,000 years. So looking at it that way, the scientific community didn't know where to place them. It's not a wild dog. It's a domestic dog. It's just that it's a 3,000, 6,000-year-old domestic dog. It's not a, a canid, though. It's not a wild dog. It's not a fox. It's not a coyote. It's not a wolf. What is it? I got him a dog tag because from the community just to have him on record. And when I went to the, the county clerk's office, you could choose Domerman Pitcher, Labrador Retriever, New Guinea Singing Dog. You could choose that. <laughs> so the USDA treated him like a domestic dog. That's all he was until two years ago. The scientific community didn't know what to do. So what they did is they gave them a classification of their own. So now the USDA regulates them. So no contact with the general community. That's what they're doing. They're amazing. They're amazing. The only wild dog species that can climb a tree, their osteological or their bone structure is much more like a felid. They can turn their head 180 degrees, mm-hmm. look straight behind them. If you pick them up and cradle them, like a dog, their, their back would be somewhat rigid. He curls right up. His spine collapses and it curls up. They have a uvula like we do. So instead of barking, their vocalizations are this beautiful, melodious singing sound. I might even be able to um, bring a, 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 a video up so you can hear it. Well, they come from Papua New Guinea. They were thought to be extinct. There's regions of Papua New Guinea, 14,000 feet above sea level, dense jungle. There's regions so remote they can't get to it. But the New Guinea Highland Wild Dog Foundation was diligent in financially supporting expeditions. And in 2017, in 2005, supposedly someone saw one. And in 2012, someone supposedly saw one. But in 2017, it all started with a muddy footprint. They found a muddy footprint. And what they did is they they bet on that footprint. And they went back in 2018, an expedition of 14 research scientists. And they went back to the muddy footprint and they put up uh, trail cams. And the trail cams discovered 15 wild New Guinea singing dogs. Mm. They were males, they were females, and they were puppies, um, which is an amazing thing. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It's an amazing thing. So they're, they're not extinct, and there's an actual wild um, population. Um, so what we can call what we have, the 300 in, that are captive, are captive-bred variants. So, um, I mean... You can't pluck one from the wild. They're captive bred variants, but I was shocked because my they I looked at a picture, I'll share it with you, that one of the webcams got. And there they are. There's two New Guinea singing dogs. The background 
is breathtaking. It's spectacular. And there are two wild New Guinea singing dogs, and they look just like our Nash. It's hard to believe. It's really huh. hard to believe. Yeah. He travels well. Um, we bring him to the, frequently to the Rochester Museum and Science Center. When we have an audience of kids, what we do is we say, if you sing, he'll sing. And so the whole audience of 10, 20, 50, 100 kids will howl like a singing dog. And when you do that, we hold the microphone to Nash, and Nash howls away. Really? Wow. You're getting a new dog. Wow. Yeah, he'll do that. He'll do that on the Today Show for you. <laughs> well, he'll probably sound better than Kathy Lee. No, I'm just kidding. She's a singer. <laughs> She's a singer. Sorry, Kathy. No. Uh, oh, my goodness. You know, John, I'm embarrassed to say I don't think I've ever heard one sing. I've seen them before in zoos, but I've never actually heard them, you know, sing or, you know, call like that. So sometimes, it's really neat. Sometimes, lucky. You know what he did? What we often use when we don't have an audience is a harmonica. And if you blow the harmonica, well, I would say either he's going to sing or you're going to look foolish. But he sings 99% of the time. He sings. And here at the facility, when an ambulance go by, when an ambulance goes by, the New Guinea singing dog goes, then the coyote goes, and then the kookaburras go, and they just fill the place with sound. Um, yeah, he, he's pretty special. He's, he's really pretty special. And he loves everyone. Um, just another one. Uh, our coyote, I have to say, um, people are impressed with our coyote. We have a two-and-a-half-year-old intact male coyote. And he loves nothing more than to be in front of a large audience. Hmm. He, and coyotes are sketchy. They get older and they're... You know, even at a zoological facility, when you, you approach the coyote, it, it, it retreats. Even a captive coyote, not our guy. Our guy tries to chain through, squeeze through the chain uh, link to lick your face. Um, he, he's amazing. And that's crazy, John, because like I, um, I have a friend who's a wildlife rehabilitator and she's been, you know, re, you know, re rehabilitating raccoons and coyotes and skunks for, and foxes for over 30 years. And she says coyotes are just just finicky animals, very weird animals, skittish. They don't, I mean, anyway, so that's, uh, that's impressive. Uh, exactly. You know, I, I, um, Jared once in a while used the coyote of a friend of mine's, uh, Doris Lannon, who's in South Carolina doing important work. And just the fact she had one that you could get in front of an audience, but I'll tell you, but it looked afraid and that's not good. You never can have an animal that has a fear level. This guy, he pokes his head out. He looks around like this. And he takes it in. He just takes it all in. He loves being in front front of an audience. Um, and, and he's not like now and then. I mean, there's people that he accepts and there's people he don't. He doesn't. But is, he definitely loves what I refer to our staff. He loves the food ladies. So um, <laughs> so he loves the ladies that are in with him each and every day. But I don't get to see him often. I've become a pure administrator. So I don't get a, a chance to go and interact with the animals that I love. Uh, but he, he still likes me. He sees me only once every couple of weeks, but he still loves me. So we have a, we have a coyote that's, it's, that's quite exceptional. And as far as that goes, I mean, I could keep going. We have an, 
We have an African crested porcupine that's better than most. Oh, I love African crested porcupines. But when they rattle, John, oh my goodness, that could just scare the living daylights out of you. It could. I, I got ours. I raised her. I could do anything with her. I could pick her up. I could do anything with her. And and again, I'm going to brag on her. Is that again? Grant has said this. We have endured too. We have one of the best North American porcupines you could ever have find. Um, she was. Her mother was in Buffalo. A youngster went out into the woods and saw what he thought was a raccoon in the tree. You or I would have went back and got our binoculars. He went back and got a twenty-two. Oh. Got her out of the tree. It was a female porcupine. And as you know, the babies are called porcupets. And they can't climb yet. They're not big enough to straddle the tree. The, 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 the female hides them at the base of the tree and covers them up with leaves and then goes up the tree and, and sleeps for the day. The baby was discovered. Uh, the young boy uh, took her, her home and raised her for about six weeks until the D.C. heard about it. And she was confiscated, and she's come on to us for a life of ambassadorship. Um, but to see her sitting upright and see our wildlife education coordinator, uh, Lori Salmon, hand her a piece of graham cracker and see her take that graham cracker with one hand just like this, and then with the other hand, and sit upright and eat that graham cracker, everyone's phones come out. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a Kodak moment. You know, everyone's phones come out, and everyone's taking pictures, and she's got to be the most uh, photographed uh, uh, North American porcupine in New York State. I'm serious. Like yeah. People, and we travel, and we, we do travel a lot, I wanted to say. We've got an amazing customer, um, Visions Hotels. And their way, that, the way they give back is that from Thanksgiving to mid-January, they do events all throughout New York State and Pennsylvania, free to the public, a picture with Santa Claus and a free gift and stilt walkers and elves and cookies and music and the wildlife rock stars. And so, <laughs> uh, so we travel. We have two teams traveling from Thanksgiving to mid-January, two cities every weekend. Hmm. That's, that's what we're doing, uh, greeting the public and, and, and um, sharing with them these amazing animals. And hopefully, you know, I mean, obviously the work, the, the experience, I mean, this changes the lives of those people that participate. It just changes, profoundly changes their lives. Um, but hopefully we're changing the lives of some of the kids that we're reaching to. That's what we're hoping. Hopefully someday we'll get a story of someone that just graduated from school as a zoologist or a research scientist or a veterinarian or who knows what and hopefully they were inspired by a small program that we have long forgotten uh but they haven't yeah and that and the kids remember that i mean because i still do educational shows and i get emails tons of emails from kids or even letters and just you know, and we'll get, you know, kids will send us drawings of the animals. And it's just, I mean, just to know that you made that difference. And, you know, I mean, it really is. It makes what we do, I think, all worth it. And, you know, I just, yeah. And on that same note, those impressionable kids, those are the kids that we're putting our adults with disabilities in front of. We're putting people, they look different, they talk different, they might walk different, but they're no different than you and I. They're no different except for a moment in time. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 they're not different. They're you and I, except for a moment in time where tragedy struck and their life changed forever. 
and it's our kid, kids are impressionable. So they're seeing these people that are, it's exposure to diversity. It's a life lesson that's profound. And, and um, they're seeing these people that look different, act different, walk different, but they're not seeing them as different. They're seeing them as the same. And they're seeing them as role models and as they're seeing them as someone that can be, uh, that you can learn something from. Um, so hopefully we got it both coming from uh, both directions. I, I, I've already, you know, had a, we had an intern um, who was going into advertising or I don't know what he was doing. And I just got a wonderful email uh, the other day that uh, he changed his major and he was, uh, I think, at Cornell uh, in a pre-med program. And he said, I have you to the wildlife rock stars to thank uh, because it was my exposure to your folks recovering from brain injury. And that's the field I'm going to work in. So wow. uh, we've already. Got, yeah. So that's that's a that's a pretty powerful thing. So, yeah. And that so ten years in. This yeah. Is our anniversary month. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary. I was going to yeah. say, John, but I mean, there has to be some animals though where you just are just off limits for the program. I mean, which animals would you not want to work with or think would be suited? I mean, because you you know, safety is an obvious concern too when you're working with these exotic animals in front of audiences. I mean, first up, I mean, you ha it's a slippery slope when you start working with primates. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it just it just is. It's a slippery slope. Um, everything because we have. I mean, first and foremost is public safety. Um, you know, it, also it's the safety of our, the people that we work with. I mean, I, I, I do everything I can to not put people in harm's way. Um, you know, I just had one of our keepers say, I'm not sure about the coyote. I, I sharing space with the coyote. Um, we knew she didn't, he didn't like her. Um, but you, you know, you have to have the skill to read the animal. Um, you know, so for me on a personal level, um, you know, primates, I mean, we, we have primates. We have an amazing uh, vervet monkey mm -hmm. uh, that we acquired from our good friend, uh, Jordan Patch, at uh, Animal Adventures in Binghamton, the home of April and Oliver and Tajiri, the giraffes. The famous giraffes? Yeah. I need to get them on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can hook you up. Jordan's a great guy. Okay, He's cool. Guy. Yeah, okay, I can cool. hook you up with Jordan. He would love to, to, uh, to chat with you and there'd be a place to visit too. He'd love to have you the world famous giraffes. but that's where Johnny, our, uh, vervet monkey came. He's amazing, but it's, everything steps up. Everything is 10 times. And, uh, we have, um, uh, two ringtail lemurs. We've got a youngster that's uh, about a year old and then, uh, Elvis, all of our animals now have rock star names. <laughs> the is Ash and the, the lemur is Elvis. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and we have Jared's Mowgli. Um, you know, it just steps it up that, you know, you're having to make sure we have a TB test. The USDA requires every three years we do it every year for best practice. And also the, the, those animals would be able to go into New York City if we needed them to go into New York City. But um, public safety-wise, and, and it's just a huge responsibility of, um, of caring for them mm -hmm. uh, and, and managing them. So um, that that's a... Um, you know, it's a slippery slope. It's also public perception. I gotta be honest. My, my own personal experience is even a well-adjusted monkey, when you start sharing it with people in the community, it solicits a certain level of sympathy. Um, you know, because it's an intelligent species. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, and they're more they're they're more sophisticated. I mean, they're just more sophisticated. They're really takes a skilled handler uh, to read them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have the best links in the world. I got yeah, yeah. Our links is is amazing. Um, he did his ambassadorship for three and a half months, from three weeks old to three and a half months old. Uh, he was with the uh, uh, Columbus Zoo uh, in. Jack Hanna's promotions department there, and uh, he greeted people and did 20 television appearances, and and uh, he came to us. I have to admit, turnkey, um, and he's he's highly spotted. Uh, Regali links. His, his coloration is amazing. He, he almost has a dorsal stripe going down his back, hmm. and he's highly spotted. And um, he's a year old now, and he's just amazing. But um, yeah, there's there's. Uh, there's there's animals that are high on our wish list, and there's animals that uh, I would choose probably not to work with. And the reason for that is that we have, you know, if you were just running a small wildlife education program and you start t- dealing with liability, I, I just don't have me that I have to worry about. Um, we're a million-dollar agency. Um, I have 30 employees to worry about. And I have 45 individuals that have come to love and need us. And um, it's just there are certain animals that you work with that are, um, you know, I mean, they can be worked with um, highly skilled animal people. No doubt it's done every day. Uh, But it's something I would probably stay away from because, remember, our primary mission is to provide unique and effective rehabilitative services to young adults recovering from brain injury. There's, there's where I start. And then second, it's inspire um, and it's educate. And, uh, and you can inspire and educate with benign species like rock hyraxes and, uh, and kangaroos and, and, and two-toed sloths and mm-hmm. uh, any of these amazing animals. So, so why go there is kind of where I... I <laughs> So, John, so you're telling me if I offered you the world's best trained Zorilla, you would turn me down? <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> You'll pass. <laughs> uh, so what is your – I mean you said there is one animal like on your wish list you would love to acquire for the program. I mean what is that one animal? Um, I would – well, you know, I had two and we just got one. One was an eagle owl and, and uh, we have Ozzy, Ozzy Alborn. <laughs> there you go. So we have Oz. Ozzy has his own Facebook page, by the way. Anyone listening, uh, Wildlife Rockstars, please like us on Facebook. Uh, we have almost 3,000 followers and Ozzy, the, uh, the owl, has more uh, friends than I do on Facebook. <laughs> um, if I had to put it out there, I'll tell you uh, another animal that just absolutely absolutely captivates me uh, is the is the rock hyrax yes. or the tree hyrax. They're yep. they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're clean. I think of these things. They're small. I like that. They're easy to travel with. I like that. They don't smell. There's why I know Zorilla. <laughs> the husbandry is simple. I mean, the husbandry is pretty easy. I mean. And this is like the closest living relative to an elephant. (laughs) Like it's the craziest thing. Yeah, just like um, just like the uh, the tenrec, of course. Yeah, Uh, we could could uh, 
We could say that too. Uh, we could say that about also. Um, so the rock hyracks, and then you know, this is another cool thing that people don't realize. You know, you know, cat felines have whiskers on their face to gauge space. Well, where does a rock hyrax live? They live among amongst the rock crevices. So their whiskers aren't on their face. Well, they are. They have whiskers on the face. They have whiskers over their whole body. Hmm. Whiskers over their whole body, long black bristles covering their whole body so that we're in those rock spaces. They can sense exactly where they are. Um, I don't know. Every now and then you can find a captive red one. Um, comes with quite a hefty price tag. Uh, I don't think they capture breed easily. Then there's imports that come in, and you know there's gravid females, or or you can get a juvenile at tame it down. But a rock hyrax is high on our list. Okay, I'm gonna keep my ears out. Although you know, honestly, I've never even seen one used in educational programs ever. Is I don't that think right? I well, never for, have. For years, Jared. Jared had. Uh, Jared had an amazing one uh, for years. Yeah, and so really quick. Oh, sorry, really quick, John. I just want I want because um, you've you've referred to Jared, and just so the listeners know who we're talking about, we're talking about Jared Miller, the host of uh, Animal Expo- uh, Exploration. Excuse me, with Jared Miller, and so he, uh, yeah, he's been on television for what twenty years, twenty five years or so. Yeah, 20, 25 years. Uh, you know, he started. Um, you know, very similar to you. Actually, he, uh, you know, back in, he was old, he had an old school start. His stepfather um, put together a photo album and they sent it to the Conan O'Brien show and they billed him as you were often, you were looked at in your initial part of your career too, as one of the youngest animal experts yeah. ever. That's how they built him. And he got onto the Conan O'Brien show. Are you show. serious? That's how he got on Conan O'Brien is they put a photo album together and said the, the youngest zookeeper. Yes, that's what they did. They looked at them. They liked them. And like you, and I'm saying this as a compliment, because eventually, if you don't take this as a compliment, you someday will. When Jared was 18, he looked 12. Yeah, oh. And when Jared was 24, <laughs> he looked, you know how that goes. <laughs> I hate to say it, but now he's 40 and he looks 40. But there was a time where he was like, he was 20 years old and he looked like he was 15 and that worked to his favor. And, uh, so he got on the Conan O'Brien show, a friend of Jack Hanna's saw Jared on the Conan O'Brien show said, you got to see this guy. Jack Hanna sought him out. Really? And Jack, Jack Hanna sought him out. Um, he became, um, a, a friend of the family. I think it was about the time that Joan London retired from the today's show or the good morning America. Uh-huh. There was a big event in New York. Jack invited Jared to come to the event and escort his daughter, Julie, who's an amazing person. And he became a friend of the family. So he went on to take a job at the Columbus zoo and work there and live at Jack's house. I mean, Jared Jack did? Are- yeah. Oh my God. That's so, Oh my goodness. And so people really quick, if you're listening and I, I mean, obviously if you're still listening, you're, you're, you're interested. We're like 53 minutes in, but yeah. the same guy who discovered me on the tonight show with Jay Leno, Steve Ridgway was the guy who saw Jared on Conan O'Brien. And that's how Jared ended up becoming a regular on the tonight show with Jay Leno. Cause Jared was on there several times. I mean, he was like one of their go-to animal guys. He was on Conan O'Brien more times than any other guy. How do you like that? Man? Wow. Really? Jared, when Conan O'Brien was in New York, 
he was on Conan O'Brien more times than any other guest. Amazing. You know what? I, you know what? I will. I, I will tell you, John. And and I I did this a lot during my younger years. I would go on YouTube and just as a student study other animal experts, how their pres, you know, how their presentation style was. I would study everything from Jack Hanna into Jared's. And when I saw Jared's one of his first first appearances on Conan, I was so impressed. I mean, just so impressed. Uh, I just, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was so calm, cool, and collected. He was like 17 years old. Um, and Calm, cool, and collected. And it's that balance of, it's late night. So it's the balance of sometimes you're the straight guy and sometimes you're the funny guy. Um, it is entertainment slash education. So you're trying to get some information out there and capture people's interest, or interest during this really brief kind of chaotic um wild experience. I can't tell you how many Conan O'Brien. I probably did Conan O'Brien with Jared a hundred times. Really? I mean, I, oh, yeah. And if you want to know about all the, this is the scoop on the talk shows that I had experience with. Well, uh, Rachel's different. I mean, it's kind of different. Rachel You're, Ray. It's live, Rachel Ray, yeah. Rachel Ray's different because it's live to tape. So you're going down and you're waiting with your crew. And while you're waiting, you know, Jeff Foxworthy comes out because he was on before you. And then, or whoever, John Travolta, or whoever it was. And then you go on with your, your group, you know, Jared and his people. And so you don't interact with anyone else that's on the show, the, the same episode that Jared's going to appear on. You don't see anybody. Conan O'Brien was a party. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, your green room is right next to Jason Priestley's or John Travolta, whoever it is. The green room you're in is right next to there. Conan's out there, was out there with his family, and he's bringing his kids out there. And he's as tall as a skyscraper if you've never met him. <laughs> I've so never met him. <laughs> oh, he's, tall. he's so tall you can't imagine. You don't get that on TV. And it would be the Max Weinberg 7, and and it was, um, oh, my gosh. it was It was just wild it was just and it was fun i mean it was really fun i'll never forget because I, I for about six hours i, I had a two-headed turtle oh i have gosh. a fascination i have a two-headed turtle i don't know if you've seen a nice they're amazing they're fascinating um uh polycephalus i mean it, they're twin conjoined twins is really what they are uh but i had one and it was on the tonight show and i don't know what jared did but he he got done with it, and he had black bears come out, so he put it on the floor behind him, and then the black bears came out for about eight minutes. So I went, when the segment ended, I ran out to get my two-headed turtle, turtle, and um, its name was Billy Bob. Billy Bob. So <laughs> yes. One had Billy, and one was Bob. And I went back, and I couldn't find it. And I tell you, I wasn't coming back to Rochester without my two-headed turtle. Um, so we finally found him. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say the bears ate him. I was like, what a horrible story. Luckily, no, no. even though, and you know, considering all the craziness, I've never, uh, all the Rachel Ray episodes I've done with Jared, been there coordinating the animal experiences. We never had anything entirely crazy happen. The only thing that was a little bit wild was they had a beaver on once and like there really aren't tame beavers. That's another animal, you know, one that you hug and hand to the to the host. And uh, gosh, that was uh, it, it, they tried to get it into a pool, and it flopped flopped up into the air and ran out into the audience, and people <laughs> were scattering. And and then we had um, another uh, sugar glider experience there. Um, 
I think that the backstage producer for Rachel Ray is still there. She's been there for years. Her name's beginning with a V. With a v. It's not coming to me. But they jumped off Rachel, and she went screaming, don't let him in the hole. Don't let him in the mouse hole. Apparently, there was a mouse hole somewhere. <laughs> and she was worried about that these little sugar gliders were going to run into the mouse hole and spend the rest of the life, their life um, you know, backstage of the Rachel Ray show. For the most part, we're really on it, and we're, like, avoiding those situations. <laughs> you know, not that there isn't a little room for it on some of the talk shows and, you know, especially late night, there's a little room for the otter jumping out of the pool and splashing water on people. But I, I tend to, on myself, I tend to like it pretty predictable. Oh yeah. Well, I think, I think unpredictable. It makes great TV, but I remember when I was on the tonight show, I was working with one of my Nile monitor lizards. And I remember one of the stagehands says, make sure you do not let this lizard escape. Cause I think Jared either had on, a, maybe like a civet or some nocturnal mammal that got loose and got mm -hmm. underneath the stage and the set people were there all night on a Friday night trying to get this animal out. It was awful. <laughs> they said it, it was, was horrible. Awful. See, that's what I'd say. I, I'd rather the kookaburra stay perched on my hand and not fly <laughs> up in the rafters. Or, that's what we're going for. And, and that's generally what happens if you have, if you have the right animals. Yeah. And you have the him and you have good handlers like Grant, like, Animals that Jared brings in are animals. Now you're an animal. You're a real animal guy because, like Jared, up until a year ago, he held his USDA license and he had quite a collection. Yeah. He he about, I guess it was two years ago. He gave up his USDA license, but he, you know, he had a, a tape here. You know. Wow. <laughs> oh is, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. He had an, he had an ard wool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we, 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 we need to connect. I mean, I know, I mean, him and I have like, you know, I mean, very similar stories and, you know, he, you know, started before me, you know, we've been on the same shows uh, and stuff like that. And so, but I would love to connect. It would be good, you know, cause we are such a small community and I think we're all, we're all trying to, you know, put out the same message and get people excited about wildlife. I would love that. Jared lives down the road in Buffalo, New York. He's remained there. Um, we're looking at, um, we'd like to move forward and purchase some property and build. Uh, we've got a meeting next week for that. Jared does, not only is he a very dear friend, but he also provides uh, gratis oversight uh, to, to our program. So he's a friend of Bridges for Brain Injury and the Wildlife Rockstars. He's coming down next week. He makes time for us. So as I said, I extend you an invitation. Next time you come to New York, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to get you here. We'll come get you. And, uh, <laughs> You're six and a half hours down. away, John. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, well, we'll, we'll, cause I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd be inspired to meet some of our people, meet our, our, uh, Meet, meet our animal family as well, well as our, 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 pro, our rock star family. And uh, we can do a morning uh, appearance on the ABC affiliate while we're here. And Jared would come down and we can have a, a meeting in the minds. And who knows, maybe someday in the future uh, we could do an event uh, with the two of you. Yeah. That would, uh, yeah. That would excite people, I think. It just has to be NBC. I'm NBC kind of stamped with well, the Today oh, Show. Oh, oh. <laughs> Gotta be careful with that. I'm so sorry. No, I'm just giving yeah. you trouble. 
It would I'm, be one of the other affiliates. Yeah, I'm just giving you trouble. Awesome. Well, John, thank you yeah. so much for your time. Um, how can people find more information? You said you're on Facebook. Um, can they visit Facebook, your website? Yeah. Like Rockstars, they can go to bridgesforbraininjury.org and learn more about this amazing agency that administers this program. And real quick, wildliferockstars.com. WildlifeRockstars.com. You can meet our people. You can meet the animals. Uh, if you're in the greater Rochester area, you can uh, schedule a program. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I, I just ran into someone not long ago, and they said, what do you do? And I told them, and they looked sad, and they kind of say, well, God love you, John. Someone's got to do it. And I said, you got it all wrong. It, it's a pri- I, I get the privilege of doing it. Uh, it's inspiring work that we do for inspiring people. Um, Always use the support. Um, If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And uh, that's the kind of life they all lead. Awesome. Well, God bless you, John. Thank you for doing what you do. On on a very happy note. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for what you you do. That's great. Thank, Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.